All right. So I have I have a talent. I'm going to share it with you today. Um, and I think most of the men here probably share this talent with me as well, especially the husbands, especially the dads. I have this ability to sleep no matter where I'm at. You could put me on the back porch without a blanket. I'd fall asleep. You could put me on the floor of the living room, on any couch, any bed, any car, anything. I will find a way to fall asleep in that place. Um, my wife hates flying with me because before we take off sometimes I'm sleeping, sometimes on, on, on her shoulder or up against the window wherever I might be sitting. And she's got to endure the whole flight with me asleep. I love it because I go to sleep, I wake up, I'm where I'm supposed to be. It's awesome. Uh, part of that learned talent, if you will, stems from my childhood. About the time of 8, 9, 10 years old, my family, to make ends meet, would have to have folks move in to help pay the rent. And so oftentimes uh, my sister and I didn't have a bedroom. And so we'd sleep on the couch, we'd sleep on the floor. Um, sometimes the, uh, somebody in our family would just need a place to stay, so we'd have to offer up our bedroom. And so I learned over time uh, to sleep almost anywhere. You know, every car ride I've ever been on, if I'm not driving, I'm probably sleeping. Um, it's just a learned habit or talent, if you will. Now, my wife's the exact opposite, and maybe a lot of you wives and moms are the same. Um, you have trouble sleeping without perfect conditions. And this isn't a gender-based thing. It goes across the board. But for some folks, falling asleep without the ideal condition uh, is almost impossible. got to have your bed with your pillow, with your fan, with the TV going at the right time. There's got to be so much darkness in the room or all the lights got to be completely gone in order for you to get good sleep. If any of those are shifted, it just throws off your whole pattern. So why am I talking to you about sleep, especially with some of you uh, threatening to fall asleep already during this message? Um, I'm using this as an illustration for the verse we're going to go through today in Colossians. Now, Paul's writing to the Colossians because the Colossians are looking for fulfillment or fullness outside of Jesus and his word. Uh, we live in a very privileged time and state in that we have the entire canon of Scripture at our fingertips any time of the day. Um, you can have a paper Bible like the one I have here. You can have it on your I, uh, your iPad or your tablet or your e-reader. You can have it on your phone. I mean, we can access the Bible anytime. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes the ability to access it anywhere causes me not to access it at all. It's almost as though because it's so readily available, oh, I'll read it later. Oh, okay, I'll read, I'll read it while I'm over here. I'll read it when I'm over there because I can read it anytime I want, and it tends to get pushed to the back, to the back, to the back. Finding fullness in your life, fullness meaning everything that this side of heaven has to offer, will only be found in Jesus. It will only be found in the one who has sacrificed his life for you. Everything else is like... Uh, a vapor. It's like being thirsty and drinking salt water. It's just never fulfilling. What that leads to, though, is this life of tension. And the reason why I use that illustration about sleeping, one of the, the reasons why I can kind of fall asleep wherever I, wherever I find myself is because I've learned to find the comfort within the tension of my situation. Okay, I'm going to sleep on this floor. Okay, what do I have to use? Okay, I've got this. I'll pull up this rug on me for a blanket. You know, I'll, I'll pull the dog over to keep me warm, you know, and I'll, I'll make the best of the situation and find contentment where I'm at. It's those moments where I lie there going, man, I wish I had my bed. I wish I had my pillow. I wish I had this thing or that thing where sleep just escapes me. Paul has a lot to say, or I should say God through Paul has a lot to say about being content with the situation that we're in now. Now, I want to be very careful. There's a very fine line here. You know, if you're, being, if you're being sinned against or abused, you're not supposed to find contentment in that. You know, uh, somebody, my spouse is beating me. Well, find contentment in that. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that there are times where we find ourselves in life and the circumstances and situations just simply cannot be changed, and we have to find a way 
learn, Paul says in uh, Philippians, I believe, to be content in that time. And that is something that in our culture is the opposite of what we're told and taught. Always go get something better. You don't like that car? Go get another one. You don't like those clothes? Go buy more. You don't like that food? Go to a better restaurant. You don't like that service? Go to a better place. You don't like that spouse? Get a new one. You know, you don't like where you're living? Move to another city. And we don't, what they miss in that, not that those are bad things, except for the spouse one, not that necessarily those are bad things, it's that you're bringing the problem with you no matter where you go. I've lived in California, I've lived in New York, and I've seen the same problems in both places because the problems were within me, not within the environment that I lived in. So Paul, God through Paul, teaches us about being content. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 is where we're going to land today. Um, as you turn to, again, Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, um, James, in the book that he wrote, chapter 1 verse 2, I believe, says, you know, to consider it all joy when you find yourselves in trials of many kinds. And if you read the King James Version, it says, when you fall into diverse temptations. I love that phrase in the King James, fall into, because the circumstances I'm talking about today are not the ones that you create through sin. They're not the ones where you're being sinned against. It's, it's the life that you fall into. You go to work one day, we're downsizing, you don't have a job anymore. You didn't ask for that. You didn't apply for that. You didn't do anything to warrant that. It's what you have fallen into. You go to the doctor. You know what? I think this might be cancer. You better go uh, get some testing done. Didn't ask for it. Didn't want it. Didn't desire it. But yet there you are falling into that trial of various kinds. And so when I speak about these things today, specifically this is what we're talking about. Situations in life that we ourselves don't make, we don't create, but because life is a thing and sin exists, it happens. So this is what Paul says to the Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his, of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is perfect. And we seek what Paul sought in those verses, to make the word of God known. So today, Lord, help my feeble words and, and, and this small voice you've given me. Take it through the Holy Spirit and do so much more with it than I ever could. Reach the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, do any of you ever watch the Food Network? I love the Food Network. The whole family loves just watching these competition shows and the things that they do. And one of the things I didn't realize until recently uh, after watching, you know, all these different shows and episodes, is um, some of the things that make that make food so tasty or so intriguing is when you take stuff that's seemingly opposite and put them together. You take like a like a like a, a sweet and a salty, and you put them together, and you would think both of those are kind of exclusive, but you put them together, and somehow it creates this new flavor where it's both salty and sweet, and they complement one another. Um. If, how many of you here put salt on your watermelon? See, I think that's the grossest thing ever. I do. I've tried it. Every person, I mean, I've met people from all walks of life, all parts of the country. Yeah, just put a little salt on it. And then I'm eating salty watermelon. And I'm like, this is gross. And, and they're like, no, no, it, it enhances the flavor. And I'm, okay, I'll take your word for it. I don't particularly care for it. One of the things I like to do is I take oranges and apples and I cut them all up and make like a little fruit salad. And then I put hot sauce on them. And you guys might think that's gross, but man, it's so good. It's something my dad did as a kid, and you get that spicy and sweet going together. Seemingly two opposite things going together, but yet they make perfect sense when you eat them. And so I rejoice in my sufferings. It seems like those two things are exclusive. 
And many people outside of the church, one of their first arguments about the Word of God is that, well, it contradicts itself. And I will would first ask, well, where? Where do you see that? Most people don't have an answer for that. They just heard that from somebody else and have used it as an excuse to stay away from the Word of God. But I would say in the times where it seems as though the Word contradicts itself, I would say that the one who is greater and bigger than you has created a picture that you can't fathom all at one time. And I would point back to that sort of illustration about the watermelon and the salt or the, the fruit with the spicy or the sweet with the sour, how it seems as though they don't go together, but when you do put them together, they complement each other rather than clash. And so when Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering, seemingly two phrases or two words that should clash with one another, within the context of Scripture, they actually complement and work with one another. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church. Suffering, because you created suffering in your life, God can still save you from that. God still loves you and all that. But I use this analogy every time, and it's just the one that's the most perfect. You go to the casino, you blow your paycheck, and then you say you're suffering for Christ. doesn't work. That's not the sufferings that Paul is talking about. You go out, you buy a gun, and shoot yourself in the foot. You're not suffering for Christ. You just need to learn how to handle a weapon a little bit better. What Paul is talking about is those those trials of various kinds that we go through from time to time. That that as soon as one is done, you know, we have that sort of uh, that sort of mountaintop, and then we go back into the valley of relationships and health and finances and just the the same things that we all go through from time to time. Paul, unlike any of, us, any of us in here, he endured more than we ever will for the sake of the gospel. He was involved in a shipwreck where he was a prisoner. He was imprisoned multiple times. He was, he was falsely accused uh, and, and had riots start as a result of him. Um, there's, a, there's one story in, in, in the epistles of, of a man that Paul describes who died and went to the third heaven, and most theologians think that, that was Paul describing his own story. Uh, having sort of what you would call a near-death experience and, and seeing seeing heaven in all of its glory and, and saying that it was unlawful to even describe what he saw. Uh, bitten by a snake after uh, ship being shipwrecked. Just trial after trial, being whipped and beaten, and so much for the sake of sharing the Word of God with more and more people. See, for me, this brings great comfort to me. I don't know if it does for you, but it does for me. If this was somebody from a lofty position, from an ivory tower saying, yeah, you're going to suffer, I would go, wait a minute, what about you? Why do I have to suffer and you don't? I see a man from, from the, the hardest place in his life saying, I rejoice in my sufferings. I see Jesus, our Savior, I see him walking the hill of Calvary, carrying his cross, whipped and beaten, and, and I see the same thing, knowing that the end of all of that brought about the salvation of the world. So we don't rejoice in our sufferings because the sufferings they, in and of themselves are pleasant. It's the opposite of that. We rejoice because of the result of that suffering. Paul says, I rejoice in suffering for your sake because ultimately what's going to happen is the word of God is going to be glorified. And so one of the things we're actively doing here at the church and a lot of churches do, is get you back to the Word of God. Not, not hanging on what Pastor Tony says or Pastor Mike or Pastor Ben or, or any other person on TV. Or, you know, this person said that and this person said that. No, no. You and Jesus and the Word. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word is God. And you might say, well, Pastor Tony, I don't understand it. Well, I would encourage you to become a part of a Bible study or some type of a group where people encourage one another in the word. You know, I, I may not know a lot about something like guns. I really don't. But I bet you if I hung out with some guys who are, or girls who, who, who knew how to shoot and how to handle a weapon, I bet I'd pick it up real quick. I don't know how to repair a computer, but I bet you if I met some people who knew how to do that and we started talking about it and I asked questions, eventually I'm going to have some knowledge about that when it comes to the word of God. Well, I don't get it, so I'm not going to read it. We wouldn't do that in any other walk of life, but for some reason we think with the Word we're going to get away with that. The solution is very simple. We simply open up our Word, 
write stuff down. You know, I don't get this. I don't get that. And then I hope that I've always presented an open door where you can come and ask, hey, I have this question about this thing. I have this question about this. I've heard this taught, but I see this playing out in the Word. I don't understand the two. What's the deal with the Trinity? I mean, I, I hope that that, has, has, that door has been open. If it hasn't felt open to you, I'll kick it back open today and say if you have questions, you know, it's your responsibility to come to your pastor and ask those questions. And I would love to answer those questions for you or struggle with them with you. You know, I had somebody a couple weeks ago ask about dinosaurs. And, and that's, you know, in some circles, it, it, you get the weirdest answers within the Christian, <laughs> the Christian church. And, and in reality, it's something that could be greatly explored. And, and they obviously existed at some point. So where can we where can we get answers and what are the theories and what can we talk about to get to the answer if there is one that we can have the side of heaven? It's, it's, a, it's a great thing to talk about. And then in that you start learning more about the word of God. But this is more than just about learning about the word. This is proclaiming it and spreading it. Much of the gospel, it's not about convincing people that they're sinners or convincing people that they need a savior. It's just proclaiming it and letting the Holy Spirit take over. You know, I say things like um, from Romans talking about how no one seeks after God. I'm relying upon the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and to penetrate your heart in a way that I can't. Because at some point you can tune me out. And for some of you, you already have. And you're not even hearing this point, point, this part, this point. But you can't tune out the Holy Spirit. You can't ignore that voice forever eventually he will get the best of you. Oh, well, God's a gentleman. Sure, he's real nice about being very persistent. He's very gentle about being there always and not letting you stay where you're at. The word of God is going to be made known, and it's most often known through those who rejoice in their sufferings. Now, there has to be a willingness there. Some might call it a decision. If you're a Calvinist, you hate that word. A decision to say, you know what? I am okay with the circumstance that I am in. Job got taken away, not enough finances, relationships crazy, car won't run, you know, my, my, my politician is not winning. You know, at some point, you've got to back up and say, you know what? Though all of these things aren't happening the way that I want to, I will be content and who Christ is in my life. Going back to the, the analogy of sleeping anywhere. You know what? I don't have my bed. I don't have my pillow. I don't have my fan, but I need to sleep. What, what do I do here now to be content? How can I find a place to rest? Where can I be content? Now, here's what Paul says in Philippians 4 and 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we've Americanized this verse uh, to the point of near blasphemy. And here's what I mean by that. We use this more as a rah-rah, you can get stuff done verse, rather than within the context of what Paul has, has said it and how the Holy Spirit has used it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we'll say, you know, I really want to get this job promotion, so I want, okay, well, you can do all things through Christ. Well, I really want to start this business and be, have it be successful. We can do all things through Christ. You know, I want to I do this thing. I want to set this goal. Well, you can do all things through Christ. And that's sort of how we've always viewed that verse. But let me read it in context to, to you and let you see how Paul is using it and how we should apply it as well. Verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You had no opportunity to give or to serve is what Paul is alluding to. Verse 11 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or through him who strengthens me. I have this app on my phone. It's called Time Hop. Time Hop. Anybody have Time Hop? It'll show you what you posted on social media for the past like seven years on that particular day. And yesterday 
one of the memories that came up some six years ago, I believe it was. It was a picture of Ethan eating an ice cream at two years old. Cute as a bug, big old ice cream cone. And I was taken back to that moment, and I remember we had basically enough money to get to Baskin-Robbins, to get the ice cream and then go back home, and that was the rest of our money. I just remember being so broke that I was extra broke. Like there should be a joke there, but I can't think of one. Um, I was so broke I couldn't even afford the E. I was Brock. There was just not enough money. I, I worked at a job where I got paid by the month. So you go, you pay all the bills, and by the end of the week, you had no more money for the rest of the month. And so with 12 bucks in our pocket, we're like, well, let's go get some ice cream. And so now, not that I've gotten much further than that, but but we've done some things to accumulate uh, a little bit of wealth to be able to, to, to afford ice cream a little more uh, frequent than that. But I remember looking back and thinking, man, at that time, I thought that was so hard. But now I'm looking back at it and going, man, God has brought us so far. You know, from that moment of, of scraping some money together to get some ice cream, now all I have is this picture of Ethan just eating this ice cream. And, and all I think of is joy. The suffering of that moment is gone. The joy is all that's left. And many of you can, can probably have a better testimony than that. Some of you who, who run your own business, and when business is not coming in, nobody's paying you, right? If, if nobody's buying stuff at your place, there's nobody giving you magic money anywhere to survive that month. And there may have been times where business was so low, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And there were times where you couldn't keep the customers out, like, wow. And those were less frequent than the other moments. But Paul says, you know, I've learned what it's like to have so much food that I can't button my pants. And I know what it's like to have so little food that when I'm done eating, I'm still very, very hungry. He says, but I've learned the secret. It's not that one is better than the other. You can put here prosperity gospel and poverty gospel and see the folly in both of them. It's not about either one of those being better than the other. It's that it's in that middle where you find contentment no matter where you're at and the circumstance that you're in. That is the secret that we are trying to learn so desperately through Jesus. I marvel at the life of Jesus. Not just because the Son of God, not just because he died on the cross, but you look at a man who seemingly at the age of 30 got up and started walking around with a group of men, preaching and teaching, no constant profession, just surviving based on what, the Lord, what his Father would provide for him that day. When he says, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That's how he lived his life. That's how he relied upon God the Father. Some of us, we, if we don't have so much wealth in the bank or so much food in the fridge or, or so much going on in our, in our life, we feel as though we're poor or failing. And here we have a Lord and Savior who walked with, with nothing extra, with no place to lay his head, he said. And each day relying upon the daily bread that the Father would provide. We see God, Yahweh, doing the same thing in the wilderness with the children of Israel. We see them going from place to place, seemingly a short journey taking 40 years because they were obstinate and crying out to God and, and they would forget their slavery. And, oh, you know, we had so much food back in Egypt where we were slaves. And then now they're, we're free, but we're in the wilderness and no one's just giving us food. What, what do we do? so willing to go back to bondage just to fill their, their appetites. So the secret, and Paul uses that word, the secret. He said, I learned that secret. It's not a secret, like it's in plain view. It's right here. But I have learned the secret that to be content no matter which situation that I am in. Now, how can I do that? How can Paul do that? Because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Church, we have been fed this lie that at some point in your life you will no longer need money, you will no longer need stuff, everything will be peaceful, you will no longer get sick, and that, that is true. That happens on the day that you pass away. That happens on the day that you die and you go to be with your Lord. Until then, there will be trials, there will be things that God will use in your life to strengthen you, to change you, and to further his word. I'm here to tell you that this here, this is a hard word. This is, when you are considering the cost of following Jesus, this is part of that. 
Will I be content no matter where God takes me? I've seen videos, pictures, whatever, magazine articles about missionaries. You know, they go to Africa. They live in a shipping container. You know, they're cooking on like a hibachi or a small grill for like 40 orphan kids. And I, I said, well, I, I would never do that. Not because it's not a good thing. Totally a great thing. But man, are you kidding me? No Wi-Fi? No, no playing, no playing PlayStation. Like what? What do they even do? How are they cooking? How do they wash their hands? <laughs> Last year we did the men's hiking trip, trip, and for a day and a half I couldn't wash my hands, like legit wash my hands. And that was the first thing I wanted to do. I just want to wash my hands. I'm looking at these people, and they can't even use their water in the state that it's in. But every person I've ever met, or, or talked to, or read about who was called to do that thing find such great joy in doing that thing. It's not because they have ideal situations. It's because they have learned the secret of being content no matter what they have been given by the Lord. Well, they have more than me. Well, what, they have less than you. Well, I, they, he did that for that person. God's not a respecter of persons. Wait a minute. Let's start with us. Let's start with me. What does God want me to do? What is my job? What is my part? I want to do that. And if I can be satisfied knowing that I have done God's part, everything else doesn't matter. I want to be content in what God has given me. And if that job is to vacuum the floors or to preach a message, either one, I want to do God's will and be joyful in that. Not grumbling. That guy's got three books already. He's been ministering half as much as me. And, you know, he's got a blog and he gets paid to go to speaking engagements and blah, blah, blah. But that's not what God's called me to. I could grumble all that I want. Or I can look down at the floor that I'm going to lay on and say, you know what, this is what I have. This is where I'm called to be. I'm going to find contentment right here. How? Through Christ, through him, I can do all things because he strengthens me to do it. See, turn that around. Listen, if God wants you to do something, he's going to strengthen you to do it. He's not going to strengthen you to rebel. He's not going to strengthen you to disobey, but he will strengthen you to do that thing. And going back to Colossians, that's what Paul says. For this I toil, in verse 29, for this I toil. And that word toil always brings to my mind like plantations and giant farms where you just work all day from sunup to sundown, planting and pulling weeds and fertilizing and just all the things you would do just Toil, work, just work, work, work. Paul says, I toil for this, for this I toil, struggling. Look at the words that he uses. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's not either or. It's not, oh, I just got to struggle all the time, get this done. If it's got to be, it's got to be me. You know, it's not that. It's not, oh, God will do everything. I just got to sit here in my recliner, play Xbox, and you know, wait till the rapture, or wait till Jesus' return. It's, it's not either one of those. It's both. I have all the power of God that he will allow me to have to work hard to do this thing that he's called me to do. And I will gladly do that thing as best I can because Jesus will empower me to do that thing which he has called me to do. I love preaching and pastoring. I find the greatest joy outside of my own family within this context. The greatest fulfillment, the greatest contentment, the greatest uh, sense of accomplishment, the greatest sense that what is happening here today will outlive me through my children and the children of this church and, and the generations that will come after us. When, I, when I'm outside of this context... You know, like, one of the reasons why I struggle with, with growing a garden is because I think it's a garden. Like, I, I don't care. I can just go buy the stuff at the grocery store. It's just so much simpler. And my hands don't get dirty. You know, I have a hard time putting so much passion into it. Now, maybe you're different. Maybe for you, gardening's therapeutic and cathartic and reminds you of your childhood. And you gladly toil and do the work that's needed to grow those tomatoes or grow those carrots or, or what have you. For you, great contentment. For me, not so much. But within this context, that's where oh, I want to get my hands dirty. Somebody call. I want to. I, I need to talk to you. It's eleven o'clock at night. Is that okay? Yeah. Let's 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 see what's going on. How can I help you? 
you know, oh, Pastor Tony, we need uh, this or that or whatever. Yeah, if I can do it, I want to do it. You know, my children have have gotten to the place where, Dad, are you leaving? Yes. What are you doing? Is it for church? Yes. And they're kind of okay with it. How long are you going to be? One hour, two hours, three hours? I don't know. It's going to be as long as it takes. Okay. We'll see you tomorrow morning. And they're okay with that. They've learned to be content within the context of where we live. And so today the encouragement and the admonishment is that you too would now look at your life, see what God has called you to, where are you supposed to be placing your energy, time, and effort, and finding the contentment there where you're supposed to find it. To rejoice in the sufferings that you might go through as a result of it, knowing that the word of God will be preached. I got a story this week. Not anybody comes to this church, but kid went to church and somebody told him that God was dead and didn't believe in God. How distraught they were over that because they believe very passionately about Jesus. And I thought to myself, you know, that's, that's what we're called to. People are going to tell us that they don't like us and they don't like our God and they don't believe in, in the word that we believe. And we're going to endure that because we know the truth. I read those articles every now and again. You'll see them. Somebody trying to disprove the Bible or some archaeological thing that disproves the Bible. Um, you know, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and the this thing and that thing. And you get to the end of it, and it's just the same old rhetoric that's been rehashed for centuries. From the time Jesus walked the earth, the same thing being just repackaged to try to get people to doubt. I have to pray to the Lord in those times and go, Lord, don't let me be so foolish to read one of these things and be like, oh, I don't know, I doubt a little bit. To go through and to have wisdom as you've called me to have wisdom. To not forget what you've done for me in the past, to know that you do that again in the future. Don't allow me to be so easily swayed by somebody with a blog or a newspaper article because it's from some major news source or whatever. Help me to, to have discernment and to, to figure out what exactly is happening here. And nine times out of ten, it's somebody just trying to justify sin. And you see that trick, and you're like, okay, they just want they just want to sin, so they're going to find a way to debunk the Bible, if you will. When really all they're saying is, I just don't like what the Bible says that I can't do. The purpose of your suffering, and some of you are suffering, just straight up suffering. The purpose of it is to make Jesus known to the generation that you're in. And I want to get you to a place, I want, I'm praying that the Lord will get you to a place where you're okay with the valley that you're walking through. Nobody, the Bible doesn't say and nobody says to enjoy the valley. The exhortation is to get through the valley with your Savior to the mountain. And you won't get there trying to avoid your suffering, but you will bring others with you as you rejoice in them. And I can't think of a better way to redeem suffering than to know someone else was saved through that example or by that trial. The kids this morning, I don't know if things changed. We had some, we had a lineup change in the kids' room. But the original story they were going to teach was the story of Joseph. I can't think of somebody who could rejoice more in suffering outside of Jesus than somebody like Joseph. Beaten, thrown down a cistern, sold into slavery falsely accused of rape, imprisoned, eventually brought up to become the second in command in Egypt. And through that, there's a famine, and, and his family comes back. And in verse 50 of, of Genesis, excuse me, chapter 50 of Genesis, Joseph says to his brother, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He could rejoice in being in the well. He could rejoice in being falsely accused, he could rejoice in imprisonment because he saw that God used it to save his own flesh and blood. To save his dad, his brothers, however many sisters he might have had, his mom, everybody got saved because of his suffering. What is your suffering going to produce? We don't know. We know that it will produce something. It will produce in you a fortitude and a strength that you could get no other way. You will be an example to those who are suffering as well and, and struggling with that suffering. And the word of God will go out in reality. Here's the problem I have, and I don't want to 
pick out names. But here's the problem I have with the prosperity gospel. It promises something to you that it's never going to deliver on. And so you, you, tuggle, you, tuggle, you toil and struggle for something you're never going to attain. And it gives the example of somebody living in, indeed, an ivory tower. Like literally, some of these pastors have ivory towers. And they, and they say, this could be for you too. But it never seems to work out for anybody except for them. And the ones who um, secretly give them the big checks to, to, to bless them or whatever. So that's not reality to me. That's not, that's not how our life is. What I see is real people struggling through real things, needing a real Savior to really help them. And so there's no seed you can sow. There's no promise you can make. You rejoice in your suffering knowing that God will produce from it something that you could never produce. And at some point you'll step back and go, man, that was so worth it. It was worth it. Ethan, going through cancer, we've met so many different people. So many different people who have not just suffered from cancer, but from folks that just wanted to serve us and love us. And we've developed friendships with them now. I know that person now because of what my son went through. I know this group here. I know this ministry there. I've, I've seen people bend over backwards to help our family to feel that love and to be served like that. I would never choose to do that. And that's, that's the point of these trials. You'd never choose to do that. But man, you see what God has done and you can rejoice. A lot of people are like, what, what made you come back? What made you come to New York? Why didn't you stay in California? You know, we just had a snowstorm in April. Like, it's like 70 every day where you live. I go, man, you might call it, first of all, I like it here. I like the snow. I'm okay with it snowing anytime. I'm going to have to hire somebody as a bodyguard for the ride home. But, um, <laughs> but my point is this, even though this place is a depressed area, you know, it's not great economically, taxes are super high, and, you know, you keep finding people who are just involved in uh, pagan idolatry and things like that, and the gospel's really hard to preach out there. Man, I rejoice when someone gives their life to the Lord because God has called me to this area, and that's what he wants me to do, to preach the gospel to the whoever might come through those doors or whoever might come in contact with. So I rejoice. I love it. love being here. It's crazy, but it's fun. I love it because God has called me to it. Now, put me anywhere else, I probably wouldn't be as happy. I haven't been called there. Could I do it? No. I'd bail as quickly as I could. But when the time came to be here, I am here. This is where I find the most joy and contentment. I love it when my family's here. They're not here this morning. I love when they get to come to church. I love when we have potlucks. And I love when, when someone asks a question. And I, I don't even have to have the answer. I just love to like... They always start, well, have you ever heard? And it's like, yes, here we go. We're going to talk about something. We're going to have fun right now. And it just leads to a thousand more questions. Love it. I have learned to be content where God has placed me. And, I, and I'll say that not that I have learned it. I am learning it. Don't you think that's a, a great way that Paul used that? You can't just know it. you got to learn it. It's got to be practiced. you got to do it. You gotta fall on your face. You gotta fall down. You gotta be discontent to the point where you learn, okay, I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me. I can rejoice in my sufferings because I know what Jesus is doing is greater than what I'm going through right now. Charles Spurgeon put it like this I have a great need for Christ. I have a great Christ for my need. And this is the place of holy tension that you're being called to. Discontent because you know things could be better, but content because you know this is where God has placed you. And so it's that, that tension, that balance, that realizing that this is where I've called to. And you have this holy resolve to say, I'm going to do this here now. And unless the Lord changes circumstances, I'm okay with that. So I have a couple of questions for you to conclude. What is your aim? What is your goal? Is your goal to... Have lots of money and lots of comfort and lots of peace. Those, those aren't bad things. But I'm here to tell you, if you're looking for that, A, you're missing Christ, and B, you'll never be content. 
you'll always need more money. You get older, the bills just get higher, right? And the, the, the doctor's bills become more frequent. The car breaks down more. The house needs more stuff. The kids just keep growing out of their clothes. You just, prices just keep going up. You know, video games keep getting more expensive. Can I get an amen on that one? Like, I remember when I was a kid, a video game system was like 89 bucks. Now they're like 400. Like, come on, man. My, my parents got off lucky compared to, to me and parents in my generation. Of course, we're playing them too, so it's more of an investment if you think about it. But what is your aim? What are you, what's your goal? What, is your goal to not have discomfort ever? I guarantee you, if that's your goal, you're going to be the most uncomfortable person until you change that. If your goal is, I just want to be comfortable, I just don't want any pain, you're going to be in pain for a long time until you come out of that mindset and say, oh, I, want, I need to be content more than I need to be comforted. And God's a comforter. He sends the Holy Spirit to be a comforter. But the goal is not for you to just be comfortable all the time. Are you okay with this holy tension or are you running from it? Many of us are just running from it. I don't want to be I don't want to be in discomfort. I don't want to lack money. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to suffer. I want to do everything I can to make suffering as small as possible. And you read the word, I don't find too many people who grow outside of suffering. Outside of trial. So are you running from that or are you resting in that? Hebrews 4 and 9 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for those pe for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's it's this holy irony. It's it's you're going to strive really hard to enter the rest of God from the works to complete your salvation. Isn't that so weird? You're going to work really hard to do nothing. You're going to work really hard to not fall into the trap that I've got to keep doing stuff for God to love me and care for me. God loves you more now than ever. He loves you in spite of the things you might try to do. He loves you with the same amount of love he always has. And so we walk in that truth. We walk through that faith and enjoy that rest that, that the writer of Hebrews says we have. Whose strength are you using? Most of you, I look around, you're hardworking people. You're not the kind of people who just kind of shirk your responsibilities. If you're going to do a job, you're going to do a job and get it done. I know that. That's a good quality to have. But within the context of preaching and teaching and faith, sometimes that can be a double-edged sword that works against us. Because rather than allowing ourselves to rest in the power of the Holy Spirit, we take up things that we shouldn't be taking up, force things to happen rather than just waiting and resting in the Lord and we end up messing things up. And that could be within the church, it could be within your relationships, it could be with your finances, it could be anything. Well, I have to do this. And anybody I've ever met who's ever said that is generally justifying a sin in their life. Well, I just had to do it. King Saul of the Old Testament made a sacrifice when he shouldn't have. And when Samuel showed up, he said, why? Well, I had to do it. No, you didn't have to do it. You had to wait. And so the, the admonition is the same for us. Are we using his strength, as Paul says, or are we using our own strength? Um, if God is Now, there are these mundane things that God has still called you to. Your job. You might look at your job and say, there's no eternal value to this. Well, that's your perspective. That's not God's perspective. He still called you or put you in that place for this moment in time, and the eternal value of it will be judged by him, not by you. So now your goal is to find him and to work within his strength to do those things. Now that's the that's the type of thing I have to tell myself when you know you got to do the job you don't want to do. You know? Even even simple jobs like you know, we got a new puppy. Anybody ever had a puppy? The puppies do things. They're they're crazy. They pee and they poop and you got to clean it up, right? And it's like, oh, this is the last thing I want to do. I remember once, and uh, I don't want to go too long because there's food and I know we're waiting for it, but one of our first dogs that we had, that we still have her, I was cooking, I dropped a piece of garlic and she ate it. You guys ever had a dog eat garlic before? 
All right, so if you haven't had that, let's, let me share that experience with you. So about an hour later, you know, she's doing that whole thing like that. Like I'm like, what is going on with that dog? And somehow she vomited more in volume and weight than her entire body weight. I don't know how she did it, and it was horrible. We had an apartment that was roughly the size of that overflow room. It wasn't much bigger, um, kitchen, living room, bathroom, everything, and it was right in the center. It was like somebody set off a garlic bomb in our house. It was horrible. And I remember just looking at that going, I don't want to clean this up. And I'm looking at my wife. She kind of has the same look. Somebody's got, so there we are. We're cleaning it up. I don't even remember how we cleaned it. We had to go get a carpet cleaner. And you just, you never lost, it took days to get that smell out of your nose. Those aren't jobs you want to do. Nobody, you fall, I guess I couldn't have, I shouldn't have dropped the garlic. But it was so quick. It's like, boom, snatch. Hey, you weren't supposed to eat that. Oh, well, we'll see how this turns out. But you do it. And you look back and you rejoice. The dog didn't die. I mean, that could have been a possibility, I guess. Glad that didn't happen. But those are some of the jobs that sometimes we have to do. And that's that's actually a little job when you think about people who, you know, now they don't know where their next paycheck's coming from. That's much more daunting than a dog throwing up in your house. You know, or or your son or your daughter has just made the worst life choice ever. And, and you're just going to have to trust the Lord in that moment. You can't control him. You can't change him. You've got to trust the Lord. God's called you to go to this place or that place or to speak to these people, and you're like, I, I can't. I don't want to do this, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I promise you, because God has promised you, that if you will do it, it will be through his strength. He tells the disciples when, they're, you know, when the potential to be arrested for the gospel is there, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say in that moment. And for them, it was in the context of being arrested. It wasn't just like sharing with a friend who probably likes you. It was being arrested and tried and being questioned. Who, you know, who told you to do this and who allowed you to do this? And Jesus said, don't worry about it. In that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. The same is true in whatever we put our hands to for the Lord. And sometimes that's just loving your enemy. I talk to folks all the time. You'll hear, you'll hear that bitterness come out. I'll tell them, you got to watch that bitterness. You might be true in everything you're saying, but that bitterness is taking root, and that plant will grow up one day and be full-on hard-hearted bitterness. And all the while, you're justifying it because you were right. Well, Jesus would rather have you have a soft heart than a hard heart. So if you can stave off bitterness any way that you can, you do that. You go to a person, hey, this is what I'm feeling. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. I don't want to be bitter towards you. I don't want you bitter towards me. What can we do to reconcile? I don't agree with what you're doing. Well, I don't agree with what you're doing, but we don't have to hate each other about it. We don't have to have bitterness. We can talk this out, make things known. We can, we can quench pride and destroy that. So often bitterness is just a root of pride. Well, I, I should get this. Well, I should get this. Well, good luck with that. Everybody should get everything, and nobody's getting nothing. So chop down your pride a little bit and Okay, what do you what what do we really need? How are we going to do that? Through Jesus. First thing we got to do is surrender. You go nowhere without surrendering. I've known I haven't known a Christian who's ever gotten anywhere with Christ without surrendering. At some point you got to give up and say, "Lord, I give up to you. I don't give up to Satan or the world, but I give up to you. I wave the right flag. I surrender all." At that point, repent. God, I've been walking this way, and I know it's wrong. I'm, I'm just walking straight into my grave. I want to turn around and walk towards you. Stay focused on you. Look to you. Worship. You know, worship is a difficult thing, but it's not just the music we're talking about. For some of you guys, I look at you, and you're just making me mad because you worship, and it's like, it's all open and free, and you're just like feeling it. And I'm like, it's so hard for me, not because I don't know who Jesus is or worship him like that. I just, you know, I'm just so awkward. I don't know what to do with my hands. And, you know, am I like this? Am I like that? Or am I one hand? Or, you know, hands in my pocket? Like, I don't, I'm just all, all the while trying to worship with this big mess going on in my head. But worship is more than just that moment of music we have on a Sunday morning. You're going to leave here 
The intention is for you to worship as you leave here, to go home and to worship as you do the things you do throughout the day, to go to bed worshiping the Lord, to wake up worshiping the Lord, or to wake up saying, Lord, I don't feel it, but I know I'm supposed to do it. Can you help me? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wants you to do that. He will strengthen you to do it. Your job is to rely on him through surrendering and through repentance and through worship and through being loved. The love that God has for you is not contingent upon your performance, and I love that. Because of that, I strive to do better. He's a good father who loves me no matter what. I want to do my part. And when I fail, I'm going to go back. Lord, I failed. Please help me. And I'm going to go. I'm going to try to do it again. I'm going to struggle and toil with all the strength that he gives me. And if the strength's not there, then maybe I'm not going to toil in that too much. But I know if it's what God wants me to do, the strength will be there, and I'll be able to do it. So we've got to get to the point where the love of God that he has for us is no longer questioned. We sang this morning how he loves us. We may not know the extent of the love, but we know that he does. We, we can't measure it by volume, but we know that it's there. We know it's more than we could count and measure if we wanted to. And so we have to walk out of this place convinced that he is true and convinced that Satan is a liar and that our flesh is a liar and that the world is dumb and a liar and that Jesus is telling us the truth. So let's stand and pray. Let's, let's leave with that declaration on our lips that God is good, that he loves us very much, that he has a plan and a, and a, a calling for us that will cause us to toil and struggle, but yet he will be there in his power. Jesus, we want to do your will. There are so many things that you could do with the people in this room. You took a few disciples and you sent them out and the whole world has been changed because of your working through them. I look around, we have more than the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. It says that you took <clears throat> in Acts 2 that day, 3,000 people gave their lives to you as a result of Peter preaching a sermon about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm praying, Lord, all these things today that were said, maybe they're, they're not truth, they're not the most important. I pray that they were truth, but if they're not as important, may they fall away, and may the true, pure holiness of your word remain. The truth that we can rejoice in our sufferings, that the word of God goes out through it, and that we can do this through your strength. Father, I pray that for your people today. For some of us, you've called us to do great things, and for some of us, you've called us to do uh, things that maybe aren't great in the eyes of other people, but they are great because you have called us to them. May we look to that as our, as our standard and rejoice in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Teach us. If we are to learn what it means to be content in any situation, then teach us. Be the great teacher that you are and show us in a way that man never could. We love you, Lord. May you be glorified in all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.